Some days, the resistance verges on rebellion. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly. News Talk 580 CFRA. This is not what you would call a slow news day. You know, for goodness sakes, in the middle of summer, there are some days where you're just scraping at the desk, hoping for something to talk about. And then you get to the fall and it's, please, dear Lord in heaven, can we stop all the news stories coming out? There's too many. What are we going to talk about? How can we? What? Give me a break. Today? No shortage of stories. I'm not talking about the fact that the the Red Blacks are still in the first uh, in first place in the Eastern Division of the CFL, despite the fact they didn't even play this week. They had a bye. They're not ahead by a week. They're behind by a week. They're still in first place. Not talking about the Chio Dream of a Lifetime lottery with the home. It's gorgeous. You're going to want to buy a ticket. You're going to think about all the things you could do if you live there. It's fantastic. Not talking about any of that. Let's just go through some of the stories that are out there right now that could be the very top story for us to talk about. You've got the Ottawa Hospital, Civic Campus. The NCC has been tasked to come up with new ideas on where to locate it. Why? Uh, because some group close to Catherine McKenna, the environment minister, uh, MP for Ottawa Centre, decided that putting it on the experimental farm on, what, it, it's less than 5% of the land of the experimental farm, I believe. Instead of building across the street from where they are now and just moving everything across the street, that was evil. You cannot take land away from the experimental farm, even though... The research they claim that goes on there has not been going on for more than 20 years. And so today they released 12 new sites, and three of them are on the site of the experimental farm. And then a whole pile of others are so ridiculously far away, it doesn't make any sense. That's something we'll talk about later on in the program. But that could be a top story today. Absolutely. The throne speech down at Queen's Park. They're going to drop the HST. The provincial portion of the HST is going to be dropped from your electricity bill. That shows you how desperate Kathleen Wynne and her liberals are. That shows you how absolutely scared they are after losing Scarborough Rouge River, a riding that since its creation has only voted liberal. It's a Toronto suburban area riding. In their by-election recently, they turfed the Liberals and voted for the PCs. So they're scared. So they're trying to bribe you with your own money. We could talk about Peter McKay dropping out of the conservative leadership. He'll make it official tomorrow, but it's out now. McKay, not running. There are a lot of factors going into this. I'm told concerns about the health of extended family members, part of it. 
I'm told his immediate family, his wife, his two young children, that's part of it. He's just recently joined a big Bay Street law firm with a huge buy-in. All of these things weighing down upon him. He's decided not to do that. We could be talking also about Hillary Clinton. Have you seen this video yet? I've posted my report for The Rebel on my Facebook page. It's facebook.com slash Brian Lilly. If you haven't watched it yet, please do. And please click share on it. Because this video that has come out, the result of citizen journalists just pulling out their phones and going, oh, that's Hillary Clinton. Let's, what's she doing? Let's, let's videotape this. What's going on? And, and you couldn't even tell that there was anything in particular wrong with her at the time. She had left the 9-11 memorial in New York City early. Her and Donald Trump were both in attendance. Both said they would not campaign on the 15th anniversary of 9-11. But they were attending the memorial. 90 minutes in, Hillary has to leave. Her staff claimed that she was overheated and dehydrated. I checked the weather in New York City yesterday morning. Was that best like 26 degrees? Do you get overheated at 26 degrees? It's starting to get warm, but like to the point where you're falling down. Because in the video, she clearly cannot stand properly. Her motorcade pulls up after she has left the ceremony early because she is, quote unquote, overheated and dehydrated. The doors open, her knees buckle. She can't get in the van without two big men, two big men helping her in. Now, there have been questions about her health for weeks. Mm. That was apparently the uh, work of the vast right-wing conspiracy and conspiracy nuts. Uh, No, except now the video shows something's up. So after first claiming she was dehydrated and overheated, now they're claiming she has pneumonia. We'll get into that later on. But in a moment, we're going to be joined by David Aiken from National Post and then Anthony Fury from... Sun Media. Why? Justin Trudeau headed out to the Ottawa Mosque today. And what's weird about this is the man that said, it's 2015, was out there talking about equality. He was talking about inclusion. And I was there. I can confirm what everyone was talking about. All the women were upstairs. All the women were in the balcony. And so as Justin Trudeau is leaving, he's being mobbed by men. And you'll see the video shortly up at the Rebel, because I'm the only person that turned their camera for video purposes up towards the balcony. Trudeau is being mobbed by men, leaving this mosque, where he talked about Canadian values. Remember when Canadian values were a bad thing last week? When we shouldn't be talking about Canadian values? When there's no such thing as Canadian values? Do you remember that? Yeah. Well, Justin Trudeau was out there being mobbed by all these men because only men were allowed on the main floor of the mosque in the main room other than the three liberal MPs, local liberal MPs, Catherine McKenna, Anita Vanderbilt, Karen McCrimmon. They were allowed in. They all wore headscarves. 
and they were allowed into the main floor to stand next to Trudeau, and then they left with them. But all the women that are there as part of the mosque had to sit upstairs in the balcony. And Justin Trudeau alluded to the sisters in the balcony as he talked about inclusion, as he talked about equality, as he talked about all these wonderful Canadian values that he stands for. And all I kept thinking was, now you're okay with this? Why? Because it's, because it's 2016? Is this okay because it's 2016? Would you accept this without saying anything if it was a Catholic church or a Hutterite church or a Mennonite church or a Jewish synagogue? No, you actually wouldn't go to those places with the media cameras in tow if, there's, if there was this kind of segregation going on. And if you did, you would probably chastise them as you have your own Catholic faith in calling many of their practices and beliefs repugnant. Not a big fan of politicians telling religious organizations or groups how they should live their lives, but Justin Trudeau has no problem doing that. But in this case, he didn't. In a couple of moments, we'll talk to David Aiken, who was there in the same room with me, about some of what he saw, some of what he heard. I was off in one corner having to work the camera. David was moving back and forth a bit more. He heard a few things that, uh, that might shock you a little bit. We'll get into that coming up, because I think it's important. I think it's important when your prime minister, who won't go to a 9-11 event, but make sure he's at the next day at an event to mark the end of the Hodge, I think it's important that you check out what he's saying, what he's doing, and what this organization stands for. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. Back in moments. To you, he's rebellious. To official Ottawa, he's disdainfully insubordinate. You're listening to Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. David Aiken is a longtime reporter on Parliament Hill, a columnizer, if you will. He he writes the columns. Uh, And uh, he's now with National Post. We could be talking about so many different topics today, David. I was saying off the top, it's one of those days where you just wish the news would stop. I can't cover it all. I can't talk about it all. Like Hunter Tutu. Hunter Tutu, yeah. I forgot about that, too. Yeah. There's a... A weird and wacky story broken by by Bob Fife this morning. Well, it it was broken by Bob, but I mean, and good for Bob being the first to put it in a mainstream media list. Mm. But those guys over at Frank Magazine, as they often do, kind of had all the details a few weeks ago. So, um, well, good good for for them then. Whatever, and uh, but as I say, Frank kind of had it a while ago. You know, that Hunter Tutu story, I don't know if you ran over the details. I just uh, was tuning in just before we came on here. But it's, I just feel sort of sorry for everybody involved. It's, it's just and a, that's it's part of why I haven't gone into the details. You want to go read it? Go find it. Um, yeah. Let's Peter McKay is another story we could be talking about. But let's start off. I want to ask you about this Shoal Lake thing in a moment. But let's start off talking about this mosque visit this morning. Um, sure. It, you know, I've had people push back. I know you tweeted out photos pointing out it was only men on the main floor, and then eventually the three local female liberal MPs came in. 
uh, and they joined Justin Trudeau at the front. But all the congregants, it was segregated, and people pushed back, and they said, well, Catholics don't ordain women, or synagogues do this. And I thought, well, that's fine, but I've never seen a uh, a prime minister go to a synagogue with the media in tow that was segregated. Yeah, there, there's a couple of things here. You're right. All I did this morning when I got there was I just tweeted a photo saying men sitting on the main floor, women sitting in the balcony. And, oh, my gosh, all sorts of Twitter reaction. Not a lot of, well, none of it positive, saying, isn't that the right thing to do? And a lot of it sort of calling Trudeau to account for many of the things he said about being the feminist prime minister, about the fact that he went out of his way to make sure that his cabinet is gender uh, neutral, or same number of women, same number of men. Just a minute ago on Justin Trudeau's Twitter account, uh, he was saluting, I think, uh, we have a, a Canadian female military officer who's going to break another uh, sort of glass ceiling, I guess, in terms of a new NATO position. So Trudeau personally and the Trudeau government has made a real point out of talking about gender equality. And here we have a situation where there's a particular religion that has uh, some ideas about how the genders, uh, men and women, ought to deal with each other. We could talk all day about that, but I think, we, Brian, you and I would agree there's lots of religions that have ideas about this. But he's in their house, so it's their rules, and he's, by being in, in their house, it's hard not to avoid the conclusion he may be endorsing that idea. Uh, as you mentioned, well, he had three- and, and, you know, it's something different if you're in a foreign country and doing that as it opposed is- to in Canada it's- and doing it's- that. Well, let me just and say maybe endorse is the wrong word, but accepting of and and thinking that that's okay, when he's quite clearly in other forums said it's not okay to have women treated differently than men. And so here he's not using this occasion to speak up about that. And again, the the issue is celebrating a holy day or a special ceremony for, uh, uh, for Muslims around the world. But, you know, you've been to a whole lot of events where a prime minister stands up with the local MP, the local MP in this case was Catherine McKenna, the MP for Ottawa Center, Liberal, an environment minister, tremendously talented woman, professionally qualified, all sorts of accomplishments. And because it was in a mosque, she could not introduce the prime minister. Have you ever been at a, an event, Stephen Harper, Jean Chrétien, I don't care what, where the local MP had to stand there mutely and could not introduce the prime minister? And notable also, Trudeau could not acknowledge the three MPs, not even the local MP in that case. I found that just passing strange. And I thought, you've seen this again before with other leaders who want to acknowledge a cultural or religious community significant day. Sometimes at a uh, there's a reception held on Parliament Hill, not in a religious space where everybody can celebrate and acknowledge a particularly important religious uh, ceremony but do it in a way that perhaps is true to, in this case, the prime minister's stated values. So it, it was a bit of an odd start, and it just it, it was a bit jarring to me. Some of our female reporters, uh, Brian, most of the reporters there, a lot of camera men, they were camera men, mm-hmm. uh, you were among them, but there were a couple of female reporters, and I heard at least one of them being asked to stay at the very least in the back or side of the room, and they really weren't invited to cover it as men were free to cover there, that particular event. So I, you came up to my camera position at one point. We were chatting, um, 
the entire row of people operating the cameras were all men today. There are a number of women that are camera techs, ENG techs on Parliament Hill. None of them were there today. Not a single woman was in that row. Not a single woman came into that portion of the room. Uh, true. I, I did see one girl with her father. So, uh, you know, I'm not sure the, the procedure there, um, sitting on the floor among the, um, the so, worshippers. But, but, but could, you, just... could you imagine Justin Trudeau? And, and I, I couldn't tell you. I, I, I have not seen him in any sort of Christian church going to a public event in a Christian church. He doesn't do that. Uh, that I, I know mean, of. Obviously, he was at the funerals for Maria Belanger. I think he's done some funerals in, in Montreal. But that's actually one of the things I'm digging into. It's going to take a little bit, going back and, and trying to go back as far as I can uh, to see sort of what uh, religious uh, places that both Trudeau and his predecessor, Stephen Harper, uh, where did they go? What were the circumstances? I, I've traveled, as you know, Brian, quite a bit with the previous, well, actually with both prime ministers around the world, but Stephen Harper once went to a Hindu temple, a very holy Hindu temple in New Delhi, India, and no women were permitted to be there. And then people said, well, wait a minute, that's, you know, Chart of Rights, does, our Chart of Rights doesn't apply to New Delhi, in India, fair enough. But Harper was respecting the religious rules of that particular site. I was with the prime minister when he visited the Western but, Wall in Jerusalem, a yeah, very and, holy and, site. And I, I, but fair enough, but those are both outside of Canada. When when right. you consider so, that Trudeau has called his own religious uh, values or the the values of the the religious group that he still says he belongs to, so still says he's a Catholic, and he he is willing to speak out against them. Now I'm not a fan of politicians t- telling religious groups how they should run things, but if he's willing to say the Catholic Church has repugnant that's a quote repugnant views, then why is he not willing to say? anything about other religious groups inside Canada. Yeah, and that's the, the big key. This is an inside Canada. It's the, the, the mosque is steps from Parliament Hill, those who know it. It's, it's uh, you know right at the center of the Canadian capital. So that does make it a different thing. I only really sort of point that out to say prime ministers do have a history of uh, here or outside the country of, of being respectful of somebody's, uh, the way they organize their religion. But that's as I said, I come back to the idea that saying in this case, it's going to be very clear to anybody who, any non-Muslim, and I'm a non-Muslim, I'm an Anglican, and we like to be a little proud about this. We have a lot of female leaders, female bishops. We don't have a female archbishop in Canterbury yet, but maybe one day. So, so you know, we, we said that men and women should really approach this on an equal level when in the place I go to worship, and it's just different for me to see this. Okay. And I think... Quite clearly, for a lot of my Twitter followers on Facebook, and the same thing, you know, tens of thousands of people sort of responded to this, saying, "This is just something that's not right about this." When we combine that with the prime minister of a country, the prime minister who's been very clear about uh, gender equality, so they say maybe the out here because clearly he wants to reach out to the Muslim Canadians, uh, and and maybe the way to do it is not do it in their place of worship, but do it in a place where men and women can uh, mingle and be. Uh, you know, uh, be seen as as equals. Maybe that's the the route around it. And you know All what, right. Brian? Just, you, well, I, I, I got before we're out of time, David. I, I have to ask you about yeah. your other story, and it's just been published by National Post a little while ago, and that is about yeah. Justin Trudeau's okay. visit to Shoal Lake. Uh, give us the uh, the shortened version of this. I know you'll be talking with Bill Carroll later on in the week about it, but uh, he had a, a trip to the this. Thing here is, yeah, we basically we uh, when he said he went up there, this was the 
the visit that all the media except for Vice Canada were shut out from. So no one, no, no Canadian press photographer, no nobody could cover this. And I asked, I did an ATIP request, give me all the docs on this. And what we got back was not so much related to show Lake, but maybe more interesting, and you can read it at nationalpost.com, that the Trudeau gang, very sophisticated PMO when it comes to communications, command and control, had laid out an entire week of events to push the political messaging on their budget, laid out talking points, messages of the day. Multiple ministers were involved, the prime minister, indigenous affairs minister, finance minister, and they even approved, this is when I say they, the PMO, the center, even approves the text of tweets and Facebook posts. And that sort of takes it to a new level. Remember, we saw the Harper PMO get criticized for their, quote, message event proposals. And we have something similar in purpose to uh, with the liberals, the current Trudeau government. I talked to a former Harper PMO guy. He said, it's not necessarily a sinister thing. It's what governments need to do. There needs to be that command and control. Uh, and it's just that the current said they do it differently. And they were highly critical of the old guys, and so were all their supporters. So, Pretty much. All right, yeah. David, we got so, to end it there. Check it out, nationalpost.com. I'll put the plug in there. All right, nationalpost.com, or if you follow me on Twitter, I just retweeted David's post. Follow the link there, especially if you have friends that were critical of Harper and how tight he was on message control. Go and read this post and share it. Brian Lilly, Beyond the News, back in moments. Every revolution starts with a rebel. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly. News Talk 580 CFRA. So Justin Trudeau goes to the mosque. It sounds like a Mr. Smith goes to Washington sort of story, I suppose. But um, Justin Trudeau goes to the mosque and nobody asks questions. I can tell you from experience that when political leaders in Canada go to churches, Christian churches, there's all kinds of stories. There's all kinds of questions. Do, does this church believe the right thing? Do they believe the wrong thing? Uh, is it a, a, a church that's socially conservative? Are they are they endorsing that? I remember Michael Ignatiev going to speak to a group of evangelicals that had come together for a meeting in Ottawa. His office did not want anyone to know about it. His office tried to make sure that nobody knew he was speaking to them. And yet Justin Trudeau goes to the mosque, and there's very few people willing to ask questions. Trudeau goes, and and, and he's there for Eid al-Hadda, which marks the end of the Hajj. And he says, well, this is is an opportunity for, for prayer, forgiveness. And then he went on to talk about, it's strange, he was talking about Canadian values and about diversity being a strength diversity across our country, as we all know, can and must be uh, an opportunity for us to grow, to challenge ourselves, to improve and to create a stronger, more peaceful society. But the Canada we live in today didn't happen by accident, and it won't continue without effort. 
interesting. He also talked about inclusion. He talked about equality. He talked about diversity. And he saluted the sisters sitting upstairs. It was all very strange to watch, to listen to, to be a part of. Is this our feminist prime minister? Well, Anthony Fury is a longtime media pundit. He's a comment editor at the Toronto Sun. I don't want to say the star. That's in my head for today for some reason, the red star. You know they're getting into the coffee business, Anthony. I actually I have no clue what you're talking about. No? Star? Yeah, the red star is getting into the coffee business. But they're open. I'm not going to criticize because we just opened an aroma espresso at the bottom of a post-media place. <laughs> well, I don't think we own it, but I don't think we own the franchise, but we opened it. <laughs> and it's in the building. Well, good for you because it's not bad coffee. Let, let me ask you about this, though. You went, you did some digging uh, into this particular mosque that Trudeau visited today. Uh, this is a mosque that on their website has uh, links to place uh, websites uh, under the heading links for new Muslims, they have a quote that says, once the Western civilization collapses, Islam will be the alternative in Islam only. Are Muslims aware as they face the temptations of the atheists of this divine fact in Allah's, virtu- uh, Allah's rule? There are some jihadi-promoting articles on the same website that they link to under websites for new Muslims. Are there other things that should leave political leaders pause for concern? Uh, Yes, Brian. There's one thing that I found out when I did some sort of very rudimentary research into this mosque. I I looked at the bio of the main imam who's standing to the right of Justin Trudeau in the press conference and all the photographs distributed by the Canadian press. His name's Sami Matwale. He's uh, the head of the Ottawa Muslim Association. And according to his bio, very openly on that website, he's a member of the International Union for Muslim Scholars. Sounds like a pretty benign thing, global Muslim scholars. I mean, sounds you know pretty simple. Uh, however, that organization actually has a lot of questionable history to it, and it's even a designated terrorist organization in the United Arab Emirates. The United Arab Emirates says that it's a designated terrorist organization. Why? Uh, because of its, its ties to the Muslim Brotherhood. The leader of IUMS, and he's now still the leader, he's sort of the open leader of it, Yusuf al-Qadawi, he was a major figurehead in the Muslim Brotherhood in the past, a leading ideologue for them. There's some sort of debate right now as to whether or not he's still a member of them. He's made some sort of edicts criticizing them, but also seems to be in support. But that's the justification for it being on that list. And there are various other sort of aspersions cast around that the IUMS is is an unsavory organization, sort of consistent with uh, Muslim Brotherhood principles. Explain to, to people, that, and I'm sure most in this audience, as soon as you say Muslim Brotherhood, they have a clue what we're talking about and that this is not a great organization. But explain why this should leave people pause for concern as opposed to just, well, it's a, it's a group of international Muslim scholars. That wouldn't have me worried at all, Anthony. But the Brotherhood is not your ordinary group, is it? No, the IUMS is a group that I wasn't too familiar with. I just sort of briefly heard about it. But researching further into it, it does seem that there are a lot of links. And the challenge with the Muslim Brotherhood Association or Hizbut Tahrir that you and I have spoken about on this program before, and that is active in Canada, and, and various other uh, sort of questionable Islamic groups that may or may not have the same views, is that they are generally Muslim supremacists. 
by which I mean that they want a very aggressive Sharia law imposed upon maybe it's our own countries, maybe it's sort of countries of their choosing, like the caliphate, for instance, is designed for that one section of the world. And that is why it's designated a terrorist organization. Uh, the IUMF, the Muslim Brotherhood, is designated a terrorist organization by about uh, seven different countries around the world. And it's that supremacist inclination, which is what should give politicians pause for showing up really at any mosque that has that sort of affiliation. You Could you imagine Justin Trudeau showing up at a—and I, I can't think of a single Christian organization that he's shown up to speak at, never mind a church— but if there were questions about their views of other faiths, their views on gender, could you imagine them showing up to speak uh, outside of, as David Aiken pointed out a few moments ago, he's attended funerals. We can point to that. But that's not the same as showing up at one of their events to celebrate them, talk about them and say, you guys are great. Yeah, I, I'm not at all. I, I can't speak to that. But if, if David doesn't notice any, I mean, he, he watches this stuff like a hawk. So. You know certainly well. Uh, yeah, I mean there'd be there'd be outrage and perhaps rightfully so. David, one thing, uh, Brian, one thing that's always sort of made me perplexed is when you have a say a Christian group or a nominally Christian group that's doing really kind of radical or unsavory things. Let's say the Westboro Baptist Church. We as a society feel completely comfortable ridiculing them and calling them out for their bad ideas. Oh, and by the way, in 2008, Stockwell Day banned Westboro Baptist Church members from from making their way into Canada. Yet with these Islamic groups, we kind of rationalize the way we talk about them, or we try and kind of avoid the unsavoriness. And, and I just wish we could get to a point where politicians and the punditocracy and everybody out there in the public can can sort of ridicule and call out these bad ideas just as much as we do with, with, with Christian groups. Uh, one day maybe we'll get there, but I don't think we're there now. I think you're right. Uh, Anthony, thanks for the time. Thanks. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. When we come back, you've heard that Peter McKay is out of the leadership race. Well, who's licking his chops? You don't want to miss it. Beyond the News, back in moments. Insurgent. Believe it. The resistance is here. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly. News Talk 580 CFRA. We haven't seen him standing next to his dog in a potato patch wearing a Kenora dinner jacket yet, but uh, Peter McKay is apparently leaving the conservative leadership race. He, He never really was in it. He had a lot of different things going on. Supposed to have an announcement tomorrow in Stellarton, Nova Scotia. Now, here's what I've been told. One, uh, family issues, both extended family and immediate family. Wife, two young kids, not sure he wants to get back into it. Also, he just bought into a huge law firm. He's doing you know fantastic work, not sure he wants to leave that. So all of that's happening. This breaks this afternoon, just before Evan Solomon speaks to one of the other big names people keep floating, That's right, Kevin O'Leary. What's O'Leary saying about his biggest biggest competitor leaving the race? And is O'Leary ready to jump in? Does this change your calculation about running? Well, what it does now is it starts to tell me the shakeout's going to occur. I thought, Peter, I talked to him 
about two weeks ago, and I was under the understanding he'd wait to the end of September. But this, this brings a lot of air under the wings of many others that are considering this run. So, and I've been, I've been very transparent with you. I've said two things. Number one is, if I can find somebody to back that I think has what I call the royal jelly, I'd be very interested in doing that because clearly I'm the leader now. And I could, I could basically give somebody or help them become the conservative leader. It doesn't mean they're going to be Trudeau, but it would at least get them to this first platform. So now I've really got to do my due diligence. There's 17 other candidates in the race including me. And if I can't find one I don't like, this makes it really interesting for me. My probabilities of success in, in getting the leadership are much higher now. McKay was my primary rival. He doesn't want the job. Interesting. He was your primary rival. Speaking of Kevin O'Leary, quote, I'm licking my chops now. If, if, as the polls say, he was your primary rival, we don't know if Lisa Raitt's going to jump in. I think she will. Uh, I know Andrew Shear, but let me be candid. None of them are big names. The race has now been dominated by Kelly Leach's uh, issue of screening for anti-Canadian values. But with Peter McKay out, um, just just I know you have a camp. Walk me through your calculation of what it would take to make you run, Kevin O'Leary. My interests are only economic and fiscal policy. You know that. We've talked about it for months. You're the guy that got me into this debate after we saw the disaster of Rachel Notley and Kathleen Wynne. I'm a concerned Canadian taxpayer, a pissed off one at that. So I want to fix that. If I could find somebody that's willing to take the slings and arrows leadership for at least till 2019, because it's a really crappy job being the opposition leader. But now, the way I'm seeing the country, I think the contest, at least beating Trudeau in 2019, is 50-50. So I think, for me, it's do I want to do that, or do I find somebody to back and then at least have a role in crafting economic and fiscal policy? That's interesting for me. Well, you, so now, you've met with everybody. You, you played guitar with Tony no, Clement. I haven't, I haven't. Since you and I talked, I have met with many, and I promised all of them I wouldn't disclose it. But new to the race, which he's not really officially there, but, but clearly he's going to go for it, uh, is Andrew Shear. And so what's this kid all about? And I want to – obviously, I want to meet him on his story. I want to – here is policies. I want to meet his economic guys. You know, he's a forty-two-year-old guy with five kids. Five kids. Sounds social good. social conservative. Former speaker of the house. He is a lawyer. Uh, very nice guy. Very genteel guy. On the charisma scale, that's for everyone else to judge. He was nominated speaker because he gets along with everybody, but. Um, he is not known for his partisan. In other words, where you look at Rachel Notley and you're a heat-seeking missile going after, he's not that guy. Can he be that guy? I don't know. Evan, think about this. One of the great opportunities I've got is I can be the heat-seeking missile. I can say things candidates like him can't. I have done my best in the press lately to make sure that Rachel Notley never gets another mandate, and I will not stop working on it. She is an incompetent. And so I have to make sure she loses the next election. And I'm going to keep just looking at her numbers, bringing forward her mistakes, showing everybody that she's a weak manager in a way that another candidate like she or somebody else can't do. I can be their assistant truth teller because I just don't give a damn. I'm the honey badger, my friend. I just don't care. And if I see weakness and poor management and poor leadership, of course I want to get rid of them on behalf of the Canadian people. I'm doing the hard work, the dirty work, the work that has to get done. I'm the spatula from the heavens scraping the crap out of weak leadership in Canada. Describe, Kevin O'Leary, your reaction when you heard Peter McKay was not running. 
changes the whole geography, changes everything. I'm going to be making calls all afternoon, obviously. I want to hear who else is going to be coming into the mix. I've talked to many that have been considering it, waiting for his decision. This changes everything. When will you make a decision, Kevin O'Leary? Mid, uh, right now, I would say mid-November, because I can wait till the last cow comes back to the barn. You know, I don't have to spend any time getting people to know me. They know me. They may not love me, but I think they trust me. It's a unique situation. All the rest of these guys have to spend a ton of money getting their name known. I could pick one of them out of the fray and make them famous. could be very helpful, but I want something in return. Good management, strong economic and fiscal policy. Give me that, I'll make you a star. Here's what Peter McKay just has released, and I know you've seen it, and I'm speaking with Kevin O'Leary, who now has a, he's got his own fork in the road. Does he take it, or does he support someone else for leadership? Peter McKay, quote, after much soul-searching, advice from trusted friends, weighing the impact on my young family, I've decided not to seek the leadership of the party. I choose not to run at this time for some of the same reasons I stated when I chose not to seek re-election. My family is the number one priority, and he talks about uh, what they you know, the importance of them. Having run for federal leadership successfully in 20, uh, 2003, I know the demands and time away from home it requires. So he's returned to the private sector and he's decided uh, he's optimistic about the future of the party and he's not going to run. What a bombshell. I, my money was that he was going to run you. Yeah, I thought there was at least a 50-50 chance because I tried to convince him that it was at least a 50-50 chance that he would be in a contest Trudeau in 2019. He wouldn't have to wait eight years. Um, Trudeau's mandate looks like a lot of risk ahead. Things aren't working for him. His biggest problem, frankly, is the two largest growth engines in Canada, Alberta and Ontario, are run by incompetence. And so there's nothing he can do about it. He can't swap out Rachel Notley. And, you know, Wynne Wynn is a broken... Her mandate, her numbers are horrific, and they just keep getting worse. Yeah. So... She's a liberal. By the way, if she if he tries to retread her into the federal government, I will not stop pursuing her. I'll make I'll make she'll be the reason he goes down in 2019. I, I got to get her. Up. She cannot be let near Canadian taxpayer dollars. Kevin, she I never I, I would have talked to you about the getting rid of the eight percent on the HST that the liberals announced today in terms of energy costs. But the fact is, if I, this is your very first public reaction to the Peter McKay leadership, and that's taken over, I, I think this is your first comment on it because I saw it literally thirty seconds before we talked. No, there was rumors last night. I was at the Toronto. I'm in Los Angeles now, but at the Toronto Film Festival at midnight, I heard this story. So, you know, but I had to wait for the official, as you have, but it was out there last night. Wow. So, look, this is why it's going to get interesting, Evan. I think that the the undertones and the currents now, in terms of this leadership race, are going to blow wide open. And so let's see who else comes to the party now that the air is out of that. That was going to suck a lot of oxygen out of fundraising. He was going to be the king of Ontario. Now he's out of it. Let's see what comes, comes next. I'm like you. All I want is a better manager taking over government. I'll do it myself if I have to, but maybe I can be a kingmaker for somebody else. I'm going to keep on this story. You know, I don't think uh, Kevin O'Leary's in. That's Kevin O'Leary on with Evan Solomon on Ottawa Now earlier today. Of course, they've got this bromance thing going on, the two of them, and uh, they chat all the time. Uh, But what I take away from that conversation is that Kevin O'Leary is not in the leadership race. He is more interested in being a kingmaker 
than running the show. He knows, as he said, being opposition leader can be a really crappy job. I get that. I absolutely get that. I don't think he wants to be in. I think he wants to find the candidate. Well, who's that going to be? Is it going to be Kelly Leach? Is it going to be uh, Tony Clement? We've heard a lot about that. Is it going to be Maxime Bernier? Michael Chong? Will it be Andrew Shear? He was talking about Shear. We can expect Shear to announce very shortly. Told he may be resigning as House Leader tomorrow at the Conservative Party caucus and then announcing his leadership bid right after that. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. Back in moments. With Brian Lilly. News Talk 580 CFRA. So, what is it about our elites in this country? They just can't seem to figure it out. Last week, for the last two weeks, I guess, we've heard nothing about how, or nothing except how, Kelly Leach is out of touch. She is completely out of touch with the Canadian public. Martin Patroquin. On CBC Power and Politics, that, you know, unwatchable TV bore fest uh, said that uh, her question on whether we should screen immigrants and refugees for anti-Canadian values made her unelectable. Aaron Weary, someone you probably have never heard of, but who's on all the right panels. No one's ever said to you, read an Aaron Weary article. And yet he's there saying, oh, this is a bad week for the Conservatives. The day after, what happens? A poll comes out showing two-thirds of Canadians support Kelly Leach's idea. Now, that is down from a much higher number in an earlier poll that was commissioned by the Pierre Elliott Trudeau Foundation. But that's after two weeks of the media telling Canadians how awful Kelly Leach's idea is, and the best they can bring it down to is 67%. Laurie Goldstein writes about this in the pages of the Toronto Sun, and he joins me now on the line. Lori, this is one of those issues, and, and I've talked to Daryl Bricker about this before on various issues. He said sometimes the media is just so disconnected, the media elites, which you and I, some would argue, are part of, but we think differently, uh, that sometimes the media elites are so disconnected from the public they just don't have a clue what's going on. Well, I mean, that's exactly what's happened here. I mean, the, the comments you cite are, are, are silly. Um, what the forum poll showed was that... Uh, of Liberal supporters agreed with her. 59% of NDP supporters agreed with her. 57% of Liberal supporters. I mean, so, you know, you you sit there, and and what I've noticed is in all of these stories attacking Leach, and I don't have any brief for Leach, whether she'll be the leader or not. You know, I don't really care about that issue. But this idea that saying that you believe that immigrants should be screened for anti-Canadian values is, as I've heard it described, racist nativist compared to Donald Trump, it's all demonstrably absurd. Because what is the position that they are saying? What they are saying is that it is not important to screen immigrants for their values. Well, they don't think there are any Canadian values. Well, they should look at the Charter of Rights, and then they would know there are. This is the argument I've been making for more than a week now. And then this morning, I'm at uh, the mosque with Justin Trudeau, where he's talking about our shared values and how that makes us strong. Well, you know, look, I mean, the idea that we don't have values in, in Canada as a democracy is, is it's patently absurd. They, 
they, you know, politicians spend most of their lives telling us the values we have. And now they're just saying, well, you should just throw that away. But this, Brian, this is exactly what happened in the election last year when the, when the government uh, held firm on that if you're taking the citizenship oath, you should have to remove, uh, if you wear a niqab, the veil. Same denunciation, same nonsense. And then a series of polls showed that the public was on side anywhere from it was the mid-60s uh, percent to 82 percent. So, so, and what I notice is none of these people refer to it. Now, if these polls had found that 67 percent were against Kelly Reach's proposal, do you think these journalists that you're talking about would not have mentioned that? They willfully ignore things that don't fit their narrative. And I'm sorry, when I'm doing, when I'm doing a column, if there, if there is something that glaring that disagrees with what I'm saying, I'm going to say, it's true that, blah, 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 blah. But this is what I believe. But I've been watching all these columns attack, and it's been unbelievable. You'd think this was the only story in Canada. Mm-hmm. Um, they, none of them, none of them say that, well, you know, there was a forum poll that shows two-thirds of Canadians agree with her. And a couple weeks before that, there was a nano poll that showed that 74% uh, agreed. There, they said, making the screening process more onerous for potential immigrants. Well, spe- from religious, yeah, specifically uh, from the Middle East. Yeah. I mean, yeah. the nano's poll was... Should we have tougher screening for people from the Middle East? Basically, yeah. No one denounced Nick Nanos as a racist. No one denounced the Globe and Mail as racist. And by the way, neither would I. Nope. But, you know, they specifically asked, should we do more uh, screening from the Middle East? Well, why why, why the Middle East? What's the problem there, Lori? Well, the one point I would point out is that the Globe, when they reported it, they just buried it. I mean, oh. I, was, I was reading it, and, and it, it, was, it was leading off with everything else, and then there was this one little line. And so I went, well, I'm going to go see that poll, right? And I went to, to the nano site, and it was one of a series of questions. But I sort of went, surely that one is a significant thing to tell people. And this was before the leak thing blew up. But basically, you see it over and over again that that in the media, in like politicians are attacking her. I mean, a, a leadership rival Chong says that she's engaging in dog whistle politics. Well, and and unfortunately, unfortunately for Stephen Harper, he's got this woman named Rachel Kern who is going out there on all the shows denouncing her. And she is introduced as from Harper and Associates. Well, look, Stephen Harper fought back against the court ruling that said you've got to allow the niqab. He thought this was an affront. You've got to allow people to wear the niqab during the citizenship ceremony. What I would say ultimately— Guess what? Two-thirds of Canadians in this forum poll still think that's a bad idea. Well, the argument I would make here is that this is really about—the Tories just—they aren't ready to lead. They are, um, they are confused. They are apologizing for who they are. They're turning their back on their legacy. I mean, that's the effect of Curran going out there. I mean, they seem to think there's some distinction between what their stand was on the niqab and, and what Leach is saying now. There mm-hmm. isn't a distinction. And, and, so, and so I just look at them and go, you people, you don't know what you're doing. You, you, you're, just, you're running around in a thousand directions. You think the way back to power is to be nice um, uh, you know, to the liberals. You know, appeasing your enemies doesn't make them your friends. Trudeau, and they're laughing their heads off standing back. You know, geez, if they're going to accuse uh, uh, one of their con- leadership contenders of basically being, uh, basically appealing to racism. We don't have to say a damn thing. We'll just take all those quotes and run them in the next election. And 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 they, you know, and and then and then Rona Ambrose, the interim leader who's supposed to be objective, 
a tax leech. And now she dials it back and says, well, well you know, I, I, mean, I can tell you why she's I can tell control. I can tell you why she's dialing it back, Lori. The party's getting zero complaints about Kelly Leach's question and her position, but they are getting complaints about Ronna Ambrose. Yeah, because you're supposed to be neutral. You're, you know, you're supposed to be neutral. That's the deal when you take the interim leadership. You don't back anybody, and you don't. But, but the biggest thing is, I mean, to me, Canadians across the country, if they're aware of this story, they're shaking their heads because what all these polls show is most people think it is simple common sense that when you are – are testing when you're screening people who are not citizens to come into the country that you should ask them about um, what, what are their views, what are their values, here are our values, what do you think? And, and the excuses I hear, one, you can't define values. Well, you know, I'm sorry. Well, yeah, we can. Left. It's called you, the freaking charter. You've told us the charter is our values. It is our values. So there, you know, so, so, so there you go. There are all these idiotic excuses. Oh, and they might lie. Yes. Okay. Oh, People well, lie on all kinds of things. They lie on they lie on their resumes. Does that mean we stop resumes? They lie on their driver's license. Does that mean we stop driver's licenses? What are you people talking about? You know, I, I, I just I, I, and, and I agree there can be problems, but it's not insurmountable. And, and, not. and I was sitting with two immigrants on the weekend. I called them my parents. And I said to them, and, and they're not overly political, and, you know, despite what I do for a living, yeah. they sometimes pay zero attention to the news. <laughs> and I said, have you been following this? And they said, not really. I said, well, here's what's going on. What do you think? And they said, oh, yeah, we should be screening these people. We well, should be screening everybody. Well, I mean, look at it this way. And, and, and these are people that came through in the time when you were screened on everything. Of course. And, and when you had much more onerous uh, – obligations upon you than immigrants do now well let, let's let's take forget about you know everybody islam muslim somebody comes in from northern ireland and they're oh, so yeah pick on my family now laurie pick on I'm my saying, people all i'm saying is and they're sympathetic <laughs> to the ira yeah right uh, and they're asked about well how do you how do you view social how, how do you feel making change and if they were to say well would you support a tax against the government and, you know, if they say, yeah, well, I mean, all I'm saying there is it's anybody. It has nothing to do with specifically about Islam. Of course, most terrorists in the world today are, are, are you know, follow the Islamic faith or their bastardized version of it, whatever you want to call it. But, but you and I are anybody. old enough to realize that this goes well beyond that. This applies to anyone. I mean, it just, you know, you just, I just sit there literally slack-jawed at, what, like, what you're up there. What is it? The what is it in the air in Ottawa that turns people into fools? What is it? I I have no <laughs> idea. I wish I knew. I there wish I knew. Lori, thanks that for the time. Affected you. <laughs> you know, surprisingly, as I said to Warren Kinsella last week, they let my family in back in the sixties. Uh, you know, you can still vet and and get people into the country. It can happen. Of course. Lori, thanks for the time. Take care. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. Back in moments. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly. Join the resistance on Facebook and Twitter at CFRA Ottawa. The ship is in remarkable condition. It looks like it gently slipped to the bottom of the seabed floor. It's in 24 meters of water, perfectly preserved. 
That is Adrian Shimnowski, a spokesman for the search group that found the HMC, HMS. Sorry, I'm I'm going going ahead of myself. The HMS Terror. This is the second ship from Sir John Franklin's doomed search for the Northwest Passage. It's been found off of King William Island. Chimnowski says the ship was found after a tip from an Inuit hunter who said he'd seen a ship mast sticking up as he crossed the sea ice on a, t- uh, on a trip seven years ago. Just amazing. If you are a fan of history, if you're a fan of the explorers that helped map out so much of this country, this is just amazing, amazing news. It's better than what I'm talking about in terms of the Ontario throne speech. We'll get to that in a moment, but... Unfortunately, I just found this. Was just talking with uh, Laurie Goldstein about the elite folks being upset at the idea of Kelly Leach and her proposal. It continues to be talked about. In fact, on on CBC, just last Friday, less than twenty four hours before the forum poll showing that eh, two-thirds of Canadians, including 57% of liberal voters, like Leach's idea. Martin Patroquin, who is, uh, I don't know, somehow a writer for Maclean's, he was saying that this proposal of Leach, of vetting people based on anti-Canadian values, made her unelectable. He and Aaron Weary, and I know you're saying, Aaron who? I'm making him more famous than I have to because you're not watching him on TV and nobody has ever in their lifetime said to me, did you read that Aaron Weary piece? Doesn't happen. Just doesn't happen. They're both sitting there snickering at Leach's proposal. Well, guess what this proposal has done? According to a poll done for Post Media by Main Street, a poll of 5,250 Canadians conducted September 7th to 8th, they asked Canadians, this is not all Conservative Party members, but they said, who do you think should lead the Conservative Party? Only one name beat Kelly Leach. That was Ron Ambrose, not Peter McKay, not Kevin O'Leary. Ron Ambrose, who cannot and will not run. She got 26% of the vote. Among the rest, Leach was in first place. 15% said Leach. Now, this is a wide field. So 15% when you've got, what, probably eight different names in it. That's pretty good. I'm waiting to see the full results. I'm just looking at a post-media write-up that was uh, just published on this. But Ambrose had 26, but, of course, she cannot run and says she will not seek to change the rules. Among all other candidates, Leach came out on top 15%. She's got name recognition as a result of this. She's on to something. It's why the media elites are so snitty, snotty, snooty about it. It's why they can't stand it. But they're going to love the throne speech from Kathleen Wynne, though. Bet they just love it. Except for cutting taxes. That part they won't like. Kathleen Wynne is going to try and bribe you with your money. I normally don't describe a tax cut in such a fashion, but 
let's face facts. People have been complaining about the rising cost of electricity since long before she became premier. And her reaction has consistently been, this is the price we have to pay. This is what we have to do to be environmentally friendly. This is how we have to live. It's for the good of the planet. And now, after losing Scarborough Rouge River, it's, uh, so, yeah, we're going to cut the uh, HST off of the uh, taxes here, off of, uh, off of electricity, which, by the way, may actually be in violation of the agreement that they signed with the feds on harmonizing the HST and harmonizing the GST and the PST into the HST may be in violation of that. We'll see. The other thing she's promising, again, bribing you with your money, she's saying she will create 100,000 new child care uh, spaces in Ontario. This is all about turning around her government's fortunes. This is not about doing what's right for the province. This is not about what's doing what's best for the province. This is not about looking after taxpayers' money, riding the ship, fixing the economy. None of that. We'll really dig into the throne speech in a little bit. Coming up next, though, what is coming up next? He's hated in official Ottawa, which is okay in our books. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. The job numbers in August were... hmm, Not a whole lot better than what they were in July. Now, some people are trying to say, hey, no, no, they're okay. They're okay. We went up by 26,000 jobs. Sure, we lost 71,000 full-time jobs in July, but we added 26,000 in August. So all's good. I always say you got to scratch underneath the surface to check out the numbers. And that's what I hope to do with our next guest, Tom Velk. He's an economist. He's also the longtime uh, director of North American Studies at McGill University in Montreal and uh, someone I've looked to for guidance on these things over the years. And, Tom, yeah, I I look at the numbers. The unemployment rate went up to 7%. Now, I know that the, the folks at StatsCan are saying, well, this is partly due to more people looking in the workforce, but... I also look at core employment of men aged 25 to 54 and see a big drop between this past August and August a year ago, let's say. And and I think this is a little worrisome. Absolutely. You know, it's quality, not quantity uh, that counts, as uh, any uh, young lady will tell you. And uh, the uh, or at least uh, any any guy will tell you it's uh, absolutely true that uh, the kind of jobs that are coming on stream. They're part-time, they're lower paid, uh, they're unsatisfactory to the people who uh, get them, uh, and uh, all kinds of the, uh, uh, there are numbers to show these uh, qualitative differences. Some of the numbers are lots of people are just sort of giving up hope and they've stopped looking for jobs. Uh, at least they're, they're not finding the jobs that are good enough uh, for them or quali- have enough quality for them or pay, uh, or pay enough. Uh, you have uh, an awful lot of the jobs really belong at kind of an entry level, and uh, nonetheless, uh, older people are expected uh, to be satisfied with them. The, um, uh, but, the but, numbers you know, these are... latest numbers show that people 15 to 24 and people uh, 55 and up actually saw increases in employment compared right, to people are... 25 to 54. Are they mainly getting those 
part-time jobs that you're talking about. That's right. They're getting those part-time jobs. They're, or if you're young, you're flipping hamburgers. If you're an old-timer, you're bagging groceries at, uh, at the supermarket. Uh, you're certainly not uh, in the, the, you know, the planning office of, uh, of, your, old, of your old firm. They're pushing out uh, older guys, uh, trying to buy them out, uh, buying, buying them out by way of early retirement and so on. When they're not really, when the guy isn't really worn out by any means, so he he uh, goes downstream uh, for his job. Uh, I think that's the, that might be the word I would use, as a matter of fact, for that entire job picture. Uh, a lot of those jobs are moving downstream, uh, and in many well, cases, what, what, to the point the, where people don't that, want them. What does that mean, moving downstream? Well, they're part time. They're paid less. Uh, they they are they are forcing uh, the folks who get. Uh, the jobs that are available to move out of a, a familiar industry or a familiar track where they've built up experience, they've built up some knowledge. Uh, some of that is, uh, is, is due to uh, trade pressures uh, in, the manu- in the manufacturing sector, for example. Uh, some of it is due uh, to, and of course the government is trying to say that, uh, that a lot of it is due, and I think that's a, a mistake. Some of it is due to the, the cycles that we have in commodity prices, okay, uh, well, troubles in the oil patch and so let, on. Well, let me point to some of that because if you look at the provincial breakdowns, um, you know, it's not great for Ontario. We've gone up, um, let's see, this is by the thousands is, is how they do it. We've gone up 0. Mm-hmm. 0.08. So in full-time jobs in Ontario, we have gone up by 0. 0.08. So... Or 0.8, sorry. So we've gone up 800 right. jobs. Our population for the labor force has gone up by fi- almost 15,000, but we've right. added 800 full-time jobs. That's not great. We've added 36,000 part-time, but we've only added 800 full-time jobs as the population's gone up by 15,000. You go out to the oil exactly. patch, on the full-time job side, uh Saskatchewan has lost four and a half thousand full-time jobs. In Alberta, it's ninety thousand full-time jobs yeah. that have disappeared. And I think yep. you know that. And nationally, it's sixty-eight thousand full-time jobs for men aged twenty-five and over. If yep. this was happening and those, those in are, any those province, are real jobs that get lost. Right. If this was happening in any province but Alberta, Tom. Speaking with Tom Velk, an economist at McGill University, longtime director of the North American Studies Program. If this was happening in Quebec, this would be a national outcry in the media and from our current liberal government. If this was uh, 90,000 women had lost their job, this would be right. a, a sexist uh, you know, uh, 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 plot within the economy. And yet there, there is absolute silence from the government on the fact that this is happening. That's right. Well, a lot of those folks in Alberta, of course, don't vote for the kind of government we have. And, of course, the the kind of government we have has this uh, sort of wacky uh, green approach uh, to the world, and they've been killing jobs in places uh, like the oil patch and in in the energy sector in this uh, wild-eyed notion that somehow Canada, with our... uh, uh, 30, 40 million people is going to make a, a big difference in a, in a world uh, where the population is measured, of course, in billions and uh, where uh, very few people share our willingness to kill jobs and kill off growth and kill off economic opportunity, all in the name of uh, some kind of green fantasies. I mean, the, uh, the boy band leader that we have running the country 
has these um, dreams of uh, becoming, who knows, uh, some sort of savior uh, for the trees and the, and the owls and the bugs and the worms and the, and the clean air. Uh, the fact is, of course, we have the cleanest country, one of the cleanest countries in the world already. Uh, and what he wants to, to do is uh, to uh, add uh, his uh, uh, microscopic level of uh, difference uh, to uh, the world's cleanliness at the, at the price of, uh, of hardworking Canadians. And uh, that's the political sin of it in it. The, well, you're in Montreal. Um, right. You know, you, you've watched as these hearings have been going on and then shut down by activists. Activists that were upset that the former premier, Jean Charest, while he was a lobbyist for TransCanada, met with them. Now, these same uh, members of the National Energy Board also met with activists opposed to the pipeline ahead of the hearings. That didn't seem to bother anybody. Uh, yep. You know, are we living in a, uh, you know, a make-believe world where we think well, the we economy can grow are. from nothing? I'd like to see them meet with the guys who are out of a job. I'd like to see them meet with the mothers who... Uh, have to uh, put uh, peanut butter in the kids' sandwiches instead of salami because uh, they, they, they family income uh, isn't adequate uh, for a, a decent uh, school lunch any longer. Uh, all that in the name of uh, some kind of, as I said, this, this uh, green utopia that uh, will uh, not uh, be the consequence of uh, the troubles in the oil patch, but will make uh, the, um, uh, the elites who, of course, bear none of these costs, uh, feel good about themselves and about their, uh, their green morality. It's, uh, and, of course, they surrender to the big noisemakers that are the activists uh, in uh, this uh, uh, green movement, instead of listening to the hardworking people who are bearing the very real tax. It's a real tax in the sense of the lost job, lost opportunity, lost future. Uh, and uh, all in the name of, uh, as I said, these uh, political uh, correctness, political fashion. Well, we, we've got a premier in this province that has finally figured out that people are upset about her, her green policies and and is going to try and, and roll back something on the cost of energy in Ontario. But I'm not sure that it's going to be enough. Uh, Tom, let me ask you this. As you look at the jobs numbers, you look at the fact that Canada was one of three countries in the OECD that has had a drop in exports. You look at the GDP numbers. Are we currently experiencing a, a healthy economy in Canada? Well, absolutely not. It's tr- we are in trouble. And if uh, the national government wanted to do something serious, I'll just give you one example. They could have really beaten up on Obama, who was responsible for, of course, reducing uh, a good fraction of our uh, oil exports and making it... Uh, and, and painting our uh, oil uh, as dirty oil and all of those uh, fantasies uh, that uh, the Greens were peddling down in the USA. Uh, a real, a manly, if you don't mind that use of that word, I certainly don't mind it, uh, Prime Minister would have gone down there and, and really dressed Obama down for the, uh, for the ridiculous pain that he was uh, imposing on, on our exports uh, for no other reason than to buy himself, Obama himself, uh, some votes from American Greens at our cost. Uh, that's uh, at least one thing that could have been done and, and of course, wasn't done. We are uh, guilty to a degree of uh, uh, the politicians that run us are certainly guilty to a serious degree in uh, uh, making our 
major export, our commodity exports, uh, less less profitable and and less um, uh, prosperous uh, than than uh, other than, than need be. Tom, thanks for the time today. All the best. Uh, you know, hopefully Anytime, you can pass Brian. on some wisdom great, to your great students. Great to talk to you again. <laughs> Tom Velk, uh, an economics professor at McGill University, longtime director of their North American Studies program. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. We'll be back in moments. You're listening to the leader of the unofficial opposition, the rebel himself. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. From the six, Rodgers thought about running, sets back, firing over the middle, caught, touchdown, Nelson. Isn't this a great time to be a football fan? If you are a, a total football fan, like I am, then this is a good time of year. The CFL is, what, halfway through the season? A little bit more than halfway through the season, actually. You've, the NFL has finished season one, and college football is in the middle of, well, they just finished up week two. Lee Versage from TSN 1200 joins me now. And, and Lee, I, I guess for local fans, let's start on the local side. The Red Blacks had a bye this week, and the good news is uh, the Eastern Division is so pathetic that we're still in first place. <laughs> Uh, and thank you for having me on, Brian. And just to let you know, I'm on my way to watch more football as we speak. So you're right in my wheelhouse right now. Yes, Red Blacks by teams like forever that they've played. In fact, if you want to manipulate the schedule to make it sound better, you can say that three games in 39 days for the Ottawa Red Blacks before they go into Calgary coming up on Saturday. And you're right that the good news is that some of those teams beat each other up. Hamilton and Toronto split. And, you know, the Tiger Cats still don't look that good, even though people think that they are the best team. They're now 5-6. and six. Uh, oh, I, Brett, Look, they, they did not look good against the, the Argos. On the, I, what, they look good for the first half. They didn't look good for the second half. Well, which is so strange because they've have literally, Brian, given up minus 100 points in the first half. And they've given up or they've scored – 127 more than their opponents in the second half going into that Toronto game. So it's crazy that it was completely switched in the last game. But for the Ottawa Red Blacks, I think the best-case scenario happened. You had a game go to overtime, two battles of Alberta, one on the Labor Day Classic, and then what you did have was Calgary winning both. Now they're 9-1-1. Now they're easily the best team in the Canadian Football League, and it's going to be tough for the Stampeders not to take their foot off the gas pedal. When they play Ottawa, I don't care what you tell me, going through two Edmonton games and then with an Ottawa team coming in that you look at the schedule and you look at the standings and you know the shop probably should have beat them here in Ottawa, that maybe it's advantage Red Blacks with all this rest going in on Saturday. So the Red Blacks are looking good going forward for the playoffs. Uh, but, I mean, if you look at the, the simple fact of the matter is you compare the standings, and we would be in fourth spot just ahead of Edmonton if we were in the Western Division. We'd be beating out Edmonton and the hapless Rough Riders. Right. Now, now that's easy to say. That's like saying, well, the Western Conference and the NHL, right? Because Ottawa's won but I've been twice, and they Uh You're breaking up, Lee. Hold on. Can we can we fix that? Are you there, Lee? 
I'm still there, yeah. Okay, good. So okay. you were saying about the, the different conferences. Well, look, the Ottawa Senators play in the Eastern Conference. Who cares how they do in the Western Conference? When you have a schedule that they do, they beat Edmonton twice, they've tied Calgary, they've done okay against the good teams in the Canadian Football League. But it's now time to take advantage. Hamilton's struggling, Toronto's struggling, and for the Ottawa Red Blacks, who have made some big decisions, they cut Jermaine Robinson this week, one of their veterans. They cut another veteran, David Hines, last week. So this is a team that is not okay with being average. And right now, the Ottawa Red Blacks are looking to make a big statement, I think, in the next couple weeks. I can't tell you how big that game against the Toronto Argos at home on September 23rd is. If they win that game, the one after the Calgary game, they're going to be on a ship to the playoffs and then can kind of gear themselves going into November. That's how big a game I think it is coming up in a couple of weeks at home. All right. Got to ask you about uh, college football. Are you a college football fan? Oh, massive college football fan. Okay. Now, I, I'm a domer for sure. Yeah. And so it was great to see the Irish come back. I mean, we lost our first game uh, it, to the Texas Longhorns and then, it, you know, creamed the Nevada Wolfpack. And you're saying who? But we creamed them 39-10. But, you know, it doesn't matter. In college football, you lose your first game. You're dropping. And so depending on the poll, we went from ranking 8 or 9 down to like 18. And mm-hmm. the season's essentially over. You're not going to win the national championship like this. Well, I, we'll it, It's possible if they win every game, Notre Dame could still pull it off. If well, they win the every game with, from yeah, now and on. Look. And I like the we, but who cares about Notre Dame because they're not very good, Brian. Oh, what we shut do, up. What we do care about is the fact that Oklahoma lost and LSU lost in week number one and three of the top ten teams lost. Yeah, there were some right, big all upsets. Those, all, all of those teams are going to have to run the table, but there's no good games this week. So next week and then the week after, there's a couple of huge games. But the big thing to me in college football, if you follow it closely, that the Houston Cougars who beat Oklahoma, who went – 11 wins last year, including beating Florida State. They're in the top four right now. When, when was the last a, time that happened? They're not in a Power 5 conference. Will the committee allow Houston to stay there if they run the table? They don't have another big game until Louisville coming up in November. They're going to be there. But can you put a team that's in a non-Power 5 conference into the final four? I don't think that, so. That is the big – well, they're there now. So how, how are they going to fall out if they beat Louisville? You know, but well, we'll see. I, I, I'm looking at the, the AP 25, and they're right behind Clemson, which is a powerhouse. Cle- Clemson, Florida State, Alabama, and when you watch Alabama play, you realize why they are consistently at the top. They're just an amazing team. They really are. I think Clemson. I hate barely, saying that. <laughs> barely. Well, that's okay. Roll Tide, which is good, Brian, for you to expand your horizons just a little bit. But. <laughs> Clemson barely got by Troy this week. Like, they beat them by three points, and they barely got by Auburn. They do not do not deserve right now to be in that top, but they're there on reputation, and we'll see if they can back it up and get better as the season goes along. But they have not been very good so far. By the way, just to make a little Ottawa connection to Clemson, the uh, I, I don't want to get his title wrong, but David Wilkins, the former U.S. ambassador to Canada, he's big down there. Uh, he's on, I think he's on the board of governors or something. And every time I see him or talk to him, he's always trying to turn me into a Clemson <laughs> fan. Uh, and I told him it's not going to happen. Well, 
you need another team to cheer for, that's for sure. But Clemson no, that, I, I wouldn't be the one I would pick. You know, look, we came close in 2012. We just, you know, it killed us. Uh, NFL Week 1, Tom Brady suspended for the first four weeks. Unbelievable that this happened. But then they play last night, and Jimmy Garoppolo goes in, and you're like, <laughs> Tom who? Yeah, and that's after one week and preparation and not having a lot of tape on a quarterback, and we'll see. Don't get carried away about how well Jimmy Garoppolo but played last he, night. He because, did very well. Yes, he did. He played very well. So did Carson Wentz, the rookie for Philadelphia. So did a lot of quarterbacks yesterday. And the reason is teams do not have tape on these guys to have a game plan set. We'll see in weeks two and three if they're as good as they were in week one. But there's no question – and Tom Brady should have been suspended. I don't know why you would say that. He is. He should have been suspended a long time ago. I'm glad the NFL stuck with their guns and made sure that he is going to miss four games. But when he comes back, it's going to be the team to beat, the New England Patriots. I picked them to be in the Super Bowl. I, I didn't think they'd win last night, but they showed a lot of resolve without Gronkowski, without Tom Brady. And right now, you'd have to say that Bill Belichick's the best coach not only this year, but in many, many years uh, in the National Football League. So we'll, we'll uh, absolutely, they, they and, yeah. and, and unlike the CFL and college ball, I actually don't have an NFL team. I know Evan Solomon has two because he's got to have one for each league. I don't even have an NFL team. I just watch to enjoy the games. Uh, I'm not there to cheer for anyone in particular. Which makes you smarter than me because I am a 35-year Dallas Cowboy fan. How about you, <laughs> and it is not been an easy ride <laughs> yeah you and my brother's buddy darcy you've been uh both long suffering folks at least you're not like scott MacArthur, who what was he a cubs fan <laughs> cubs fan and 49ers fan so he's been struggling as well it's always good to hear scotty on the blue jay coverage on tsn and he's doing a great job but that's another team that boy it's going to be pretty exciting down the stretch in the next three weeks for that team so uh, well that lot, lots going on that's for another day you should have seen the crowds when i was down there last weekly I actually ended up parking and going for a burger rather than fight the traffic uh, as I left the 1010 Studios in Toronto uh, on Friday night because of the Jays game. It was what wild. You're telling, what you're telling me is there's a big enough crowd that somebody recognized Brian Lillard. <laughs> Talk to you later. Lever Sage from TSN 1200. I don't know why I have him on, ever. I'm Brian <laughs> Lilly. This is Beyond the News. Back in moments. With Brian Lilly. Join the resistance on Facebook and Twitter at CFRA Ottawa. I know lots of you are dying into uh, dying to call in and um, comment on my conversation with Lee Versage in football, but hey, it's my show, so I get to talk about what I want, and I like football, so. If you have a Notre Dame call, comment on the Dumbers, how great the Fighting Irish are. It's 521-TALK, 521-8255. Other than that, not taking any calls. You don't have a comment on Notre Dame, zero call. No, I'm joking. I'm joking. Uh, but if you do have call, you know, comments on, I, I, I'm going to delve deeper into what Kathleen Wynn's doing. 
right now. But if you do have comments on the issues that we talked about earlier, uh, be it the visit that Justin Trudeau did to the mosque earlier today, where there was complete gender segregation, something he would not accept from other religions. I'm not telling the mosque what they have to do. I'm just pointing out that Justin Trudeau wouldn't accept this elsewhere. But he will accept it here and talk about the sisters upstairs. If you have a comment on that, it's 521-TALK, 521-8255, or star 580 on Bell Mobility. If you have a comment on my conversation with Lori Goldstein on how the elites just get it so wrong, then I'd love to hear from you. 521-TALK, 521-8255. Beyond the news at CFRA.com is the email address. You know, the, the media elites are convinced that Kelly Leach is wrong and dangerous and horrible, and yet this is not only supported by two, more than two-thirds of Canadians, but also it's actually put Leach in the first-place position among those who can run for the conservative leadership, according to the latest Main Street poll, a poll of more than five thousand Canadians could most of them have picked Kelly Leach out of a a lineup two weeks ago no but they like her idea they like the cut of her jib over this issue isn't that different you got thoughts on that it's 521 talk 521 8255 but I want to talk a little bit about Kathleen Wynne and her throne speech today and this cynical ploy that she has going on just before I get to that by the way uh, Eaton Burke from Barhaven, he was our SENS qualifier at 8.35. I forgot to get to that earlier. If you want to be our next SENS qualifier, your next chance to get into the draw for the ultimate SENS season seats giveaway is at 9.35. So 25 minutes from now, you could be in the draw to be at every single season home game. 100 level tickets. The draw takes place next Monday morning during the morning rush. So your next chance to qualify is 9.35. Then it starts again at 7.35 and runs all through the day, including right here during Beyond the News at 8.35 and 9.35 each night. But let's talk about Kathleen Wynne's cynical ploy to turn around something that she's been pushing forever. She has been pushing this idea that we have to pay more. We have to pay more for hydroelectricity so that we can force people to use less, so that we can all conserve, so that we can use greener energy. And now, now they're turning around and saying they're going to cut the HST. Earlier today, Finance Minister Charles Souza was out there saying that hydro rates went up, not because of bad policy choices by the Liberals. No. They went up because Ontario stopped burning coal to generate electricity and spent heavily to upgrade the transmission grid. And yet he knows that consumers are fuming over their bills. You think? We understand that we need to mitigate the costs for everyday Ontarians so that they can have greater affordability. But at the same time, we needed to make those investments to provide for that integrity and to become more competitive long term. Competitive with what? We can't buy our electricity anywhere else. We're we're captive to a monopoly wherever we live. That's the monopoly. 
Meanwhile, Energy Minister Glenn Tebow saying, okay, well, you're going to have that 8% taken off your bill due to the, uh, the cut taking the provincial portion of the HST off. But he says, you know what? Taxpayers are going to spend an awful lot of money to subsidize electricity ratepayers. They're the same damn thing. Why is he even bothered talking about this? We're looking at about a billion dollars that we're going to be giving back in savings uh, on tax savings. And then, of course, uh, I think it's important for us to recognize that we're doing something for our remote, rural, and northern customers and and consumers as well. They're going to be saving uh, about 20% on all of their bills. Okay, my last bill was $235 for one month. The HST was $2,705. That's the total HST. So I'd have to do math on that. We'll do that during the break. How much am I going to be saving off of this? Not that much. Not that much at all. This is not going to be a significant savings. Unreal. But hey, they're going to say it's going to be fantastic, right? Christine Van Gyne, meanwhile, from the Canadian Taxpayers Federation, says um, she's right. It's not going to give as much relief at all. Basically, the premier buying people off with their own money. Uh, it's a cynical move, and it doesn't actually address the root causes of the energy crisis in Ontario. Our bills grow at an average of 8% a year. So if we have an 8% reduction this year, what's going to happen next year when they don't have an HST to cut? What are your thoughts? 521-TALK, 521-8255, star 580 on Bell Mobility. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. Back with your calls, your thoughts in moments. You want to email me, beyondthenews at CFRA.com. He's hated in official Ottawa, which is okay in our books. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. Yeah, that bit about being hated in official Ottawa... It's pretty accurate, I'd say. 521-TALK, 521-8255, star 580 on Bell Mobility. If you want to talk to the guy that most in the media party consider to be the fart in the elevator, the guy that is just the stink because he asks the questions that they don't like. Dave, Dave in Ottawa, you're on Beyond the News. Before I talk about Kathleen Wynne and the uh, budget, I'm looking at a half-page pullout from the uh, Financial Post, and this should be really good news to the victims of the Phoenix payroll system. What's this week that? is National Payroll Week. <laughs> and, you know, if they bought a, an off, off-the-shelf system, it might have worked. No, the, the, the guest you had on who said they can't afford to send our kids to school with salami sandwiches anymore. They've got to bring peanut butter. Wrong on both counts. Shouldn't use salami. It's full of these uh, nitrates and stuff. It's not healthy. Hey, don't pick on salami. Can't bring peanut butter because of oh, allergies. No, wait, wait, Dave, wait. You might be somewhat misinformed. In elementary school, you can't. But once you get to middle and high school, you can. And so my twins just started middle school They cannot year. bring peanut butter. Oh, at middle school, they can. From, grade, from kindergarten uh, yeah. to grade six, they couldn't. You know what they wanted for their first day lunch? What's that? Peanut, peanut butter, butter sandwiches. <laughs> for those who can't bring them, I had a couple of options. One is you could bring ketchup on bread sandwiches. 
And when you got tired of that, you could bring mustard on bread sandwiches. Um, you know, I, I, I don't see this as a bad thing. I grew up with um, uh, Scottish, cheap Scottish parents. Some would call them poor Scottish parents. Mm-hmm. Uh, we used to use this thing called sandwich spread, which I found out later in life. You can still buy it. Heinz sandwich spread. We had you know it here it? called potted meat. It, it um, It's essentially uh, mayonnaise and relish together. Oh, okay. And other people would uh, call it um, like a, something you'd put on your sandwich for a, uh, like a mayonnaise. You, anyway, you would put it on, uh, hold on, you'd, okay. i I, I got to finish this story. Sure. You would put it on as uh, a condiment. We just used it as the total sandwich. Mm-hmm. That's all we had. We thought it was wonderful. Yeah, we had something called potted meat and was meat byproducts. And the label said, may contain and or, and or, and or, about 5,500 and ors in the row. It tasted awfully spicy because I guess that's the only way they could cover up all the and ors and make it a little bit palatable. But anyway, the the, the budget. Well, uh, the, the throne speech. It wasn't a budget speech, today. Yeah, okay. it was a, I mean, there's a lot of budget measures in there, like okay, taking off the HST. Let's call it a throne speech then. How do you uh, like that HST move? I, I, I'm going to disagree with you because it's not really casting the HST because, as you said, they probably can't really do that. What it is, it's a rebate in an equivalent amount of the HST. You know, we don't have the details on how they're going to do it yet. Well, that's the way that I'm going to start listening. But, yeah, that that's how I take it is I, I don't think they can just say we're going to stop collecting the HST on this no, or they'd be in violation. In, a, in, in lieu of yeah. whatever, yeah. Now, they're going to make create all, the, all these uh, daycare spaces at how much cost. Where's the money going to come from? There's no change in policy. It's, it's like the old expression of rearranging the chairs and then the Titanic. There's, there's no change in policy. They did not say they're going to back out of this uh, carbon tax thing with uh, California and Quebec, no. which is now already skeptical and full of doom and gloom and stuff. Why would they do that, Dave? They're not going to back out or cancel any further wind and solar farm projects. Uh, because that would, you know, we're going to get keeping higher. They're not going to halt the sale of Hydro One. Uh, you know, if we own Hydro One, at least all these rip-off profits that are coming are coming into the government. Now they'd be going to the private sector. So they're not doing anything. There is no change in policy. It's more of the same. And promise you more. Raise the debt higher and higher. And now you vote for me again in two years. Well, not a chance in the world. I never voted in the first, last, or in between. So you're still not going to vote for Kathleen Wynne? What do you mean still not? I never did. What what what's it going to take, Dave? I Come have on, no what idea. what can I do to put you in Kathleen Wynne's chair today? What can I do to make you vote for Kathleen Wynne and the and the Liberals? You can't. You can't. What but if there's... we throw in free oil changes? Uh, no, I've got coupons for free oil. I haven't. <laughs> I haven't paid for an oil change in three years, and I got another two years worth of coupons left. <laughs> you know, it just it, the whole way that they're going about it seems like that car salesman. I have nothing against car salesmen. I love when they offer me a deal, but you know, when you get to that point, you're trying to buy a car, and they're like, and they know that you're close, right? Yeah. And it's okay. What can we do to make this happen today? That's what this throne speech sounded like to me. But there isn't anything in there to make it happen. It's, it's expensive promises that are going to make us worse in the long run and not better. And there's been no real change in bottom line policy that's going to address the real issues. Uh, 
what do you want to talk about issues for? Why do you why do you have to go and ruin things, Dave? Okay, well, you always you... have to ruin. Th- You're the reason we can't have nice things. Let me set you off on a better tone. Than okay, then I, I got to go to Gloria. Yeah, now what's more fun than beating a pinetta of Jim Alcun? Rather, I forget his name. The, the the leader in the North Korea. What's more fun than beating a pinetta of Jim Kim Al Jun for fifteen minutes of the big stick? No idea. Beating the pinata for fifteen minutes with a big stick and realizing, oh, it's not a pinata. <laughs> we'll leave it there. Thanks, Dave. Let's go to Gloria. Gloria, you're on Beyond the News. How are you hi, feeling hi. about this throne speech today? Are you excited? Well, the thing is, I just find it so condescending that she thinks we are are dumb enough to not see through her. She's just like an open book. Oh, but and, an awful lot of people are, Gloria. Oh, my God. She's bribing us with our own money, and it's so little. And, it, you know, it can change at any time. She can turn around and raise the, the, raise the prices on, on uh, hydro again after this. Uh, you know, she thinks that everything has settled down. It, it's never going to stop. The only thing we have to do is boot her to the curb. And I'll tell you something. Um, there, there was an article uh, in the Ottawa Citizen in uh, just August here, just uh, I think it was August the 24th, and uh, the headline is it was on even on the front page, uh, which is uh, quite uh, different uh, for, for the Ottawa Citizen. And it says, bad sign for Ontario's cap-and-trade hopes. Uh, the last two consecutive au- auctions – uh, have been a bust in Quebec and California. Oh, they they haven't raised the money that they hoped they would. Oh God, no, no. They I tell you, the, 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 they they've had really a lot of both Quebec and California. They teamed up together. They've had a lot of trouble selling the, these emission allowances. In May, of, like they sell them every four months, say. In May, they only sold eleven percent. And August was a little bit better. They sold 35%. But they've lost hundreds of millions of dollars because the businesses aren't buying them. You know, I mean, they're just uh, ignoring them. Because they can see through it, it's so crooked and, and, and so corrupt. And I'll tell you something, there's big trouble for, for the cap-and-trade system in California. Right now, there's a lawsuit that's been filed. And it argues that the cap-and-trade system is unconstitutional. It's an unconstitutional tax, and it's going through the court system uh, right right now. And now, if I I I only wish that our courts would be so bold. Okay, I I do too. Because okay, the thing is this: the people of Ontario own Hydro One, and it should be against the law to sell it without our permission. She's she's uh, doing something that's to me that's totally against the law. How can it's like me going and and, and taking somebody's car and, and selling it uh, behind their back, and uh, I I keep all the money and all of a sudden you don't have a car. Hey, what it, it would be this exactly the same thing. There has to be somebody with some kind. There was well, a law. They they are the people. That Ooh. can do this. They are our elected officials, and elections have but consequences. What gives them author- the authority to sell something that they have no- they have uh, nothing to do with? They haven't put a penny in there. You know what I'm saying? It's the, it, collectively, it's the Ontario people who own Hydro One. She has no business selling that without well, she, our permission. She she is the elected premier. 
Yes. She represents the people of Ontario as the elected government. And so, no, actually, she does. We may not like it, but she does. And it may be a crony capitalist move. It's not a real privatization, by the way. It's crony capitalism at its worst, Oh yeah. the way that they've done it. Mm-hmm. But legally, they are allowed to do it. I, who said? I would, who said? Yeah. We elected them. But the thing is, well, why is, well, how, is California we, filing this lawsuit that says that this tax is unconstitutional? Well, you, you're, you're confusing issues. Saying what? a tax is unconstitutional and saying that you can't sell a, a government asset, of course the, a government can sell a government asset. Otherwise, they wouldn't be allowed to shut down schools. They wouldn't be allowed to build a power plant. They wouldn't be allowed to do anything without having some outside body. And if that's the way it's going to work, then why bother electing anybody ever? We can elect them. We can elect them to look after our core services. That's all they should be there for. That's number one. And and well, and, 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 it, it, that that includes whether they buy or sell. Uh, I'm not, I'm not going to quibble on that. I think that they're absolute crooks in how they've done it, Gloria. But the fact that they have the right to do it, I would never say that they didn't have the right to do it. Are they crooks? Absolutely. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. Back in moments. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. So the Wynn government says with their move to remove the HST, the provincial portion of the HST, off of your hydro bill, the average consumer will save $130 a year. $130 a year. Don't you feel richer already? What's the Scotiabank slogan? You're richer than you think? Maybe that's what they're hoping for, that you will think you're richer than you think. Hmm. I Tell me, do you think that your hydro bill, since the liberals came into power and started enacting their green energy insanity, Has your bill gone up by more than $130 per year? Guy, the Capital Voice. Guy, has your bill gone up more than $130 in a year? Uh, The last bill that we were looking at was about $380, Brian. That's uh, up from about $180. It's almost doubled in uh, four years. Okay, so so more than $130 a year. Uh, That's a month, Brian. $400 $400 a month, so we're paying $220 more a month or $2,400 more a year than I was four no, years ago. I, I, I'm just trying to figure out liberal math here, Guy. That's all. Well, the global adjustment uh, is probably the biggest thing that Jim McCarter pointed out, and that's one thing I wanted to talk about, if we could use that as a segue, Brian. Sure. And realists, you know, they've, they made it so complicated that it's going to be very hard for Patrick Brown to unravel it. But that he must do. And the global adjustment charge is where the whole cabal figured out how they were going to rape Ontario and make this the crime of the century for the province. Um, it's very unfortunate. You know, actions speak louder than words. That's what I wanted to say. And Kathleen Wynne today made the laziest policy, possible policy decision she could have by just taking a pencil and eraser and changing a line item. Yeah, and we'll just, it, it, that's exactly it. We'll just scratch that out. Yeah. And Rob Snow said it best, you know, could we do a moratorium? Could we do this? Could there was no underlying, as David said as well, the underlying root causes of this Green Energy Act are basically destroying Ontario. 
There, there's what, no what Patrick change Brown in policy at all. None. Now. Sorry, go ahead, Brian. There's no change in policy. There's nothing. there's nothing no. nothing that helped cause this no. that will be reversed as as a result of this uh, throne speech. It really shows the laziness. Really shows, and again, their actions speak louder than their words. It was just so lazy and lame. In four days, they had to do something after Rouge River. Oh, what are we going to do? Oh, we can't touch the Green Energy Act. Oh, we can't reduce Samsung's kilowatt hours. Oh, we can't piss off the FIT contracts. Oh, we just signed the thousand new FIT contracts. Can't put a moratorium on those because that will basically ruin our green ideology that the Green Energy Act was wrong. Mm-hmm. And, and and this is the whole problem. And this is where Patrick Brown, I think, has a very unique opportunity on the heels of this lazy announcement to come out and tell us the people that still tr- half trust him and the people that maybe want to vote for him what his plan is to unravel the Green Energy Act and do what Spain and Europe and other places in, in Europe have done with regards to repealing the repugnant rates that were given to the private macro fit contracts. And Spain has even gone to the point where they have just said, no, there's no payments either to these companies. They said, you know what? You pay the market rate or you can walk away and take the things down. And, Brian, that's what we have to do in this province. We need a person to stand up right now on the heels of this terrible decision by Kathleen Wynne. And I hope that Patrick Brown will stand up and define his energy policy and tell Ontarians what needs to be told. It is a huge mess that needs to be unraveled, and it's just its destroying Ontario. As Lowell said, uh, you know, it can't go on. I don't even think we can wait two years. You know, I, on the one hand, Guy, yeah, I'm a believer that government signed a contract. They've got to stand by it. Brian, these are contracts. Hold on, hold on. But. These are the most ridiculous contracts I've ever heard of. They are insane. Nobody signs a 20-plus-year 20, 20 supply deal. Ron, Brian, nobody should be able to sign a 20-year deal when they can only have a mandate for four years. That's another thing, Patrick. Uh, yeah, look, do. if it was a five-year deal. Exactly. You know what? Hey, there's all kinds of people that have five-year deals. Yeah. But you, you want to turn around and sign a 20-plus-year deal? On, on what planet do do we sign a a deal for garbage service? Do we sign a a deal to for anything oh, yes, else for that, that long? We did that. Oh years, yeah, eight wait, million a year, million, yep. Don't yeah, don't that. remind me. Been okay, there. but Brian, you know, let, let, let's, let's this is at, how liberals do P threes. Well, this is the whole problem. Once they're gone, our our grandkids have to pay for it. And this is another thing I think that that we really need to look at long term for the George Smithermans and the Mike Crawleys of the world, in that. Follow the money. Who got rich and who got poor? Well, we all know who got poor. But, again, these contracts, if you really dig down on them, Dalton McGinty, just let me go into something here. Dalton McGinty instructed the mediator of the TCPL gas plant arbitration to not consider the force majeure clause that was available to the province in considerations in making his determination. That was stated by Bonnie Lissick in her 2012 Auditor General's report. Mm -hmm. That was a crime, Brian. That was a breach of trust by a government official to overlook a major clause in a contract that could have saved this province $1.2 billion. And you want to hear the inside story? The progressive conservatives were going to take the liberals to court on that, and they didn't. They had legal advice. They were going to go, and they didn't do it. 
And you know what, Brian? That was a crime. And the fact that they can get they can get out of these contracts by just quoting what I just did in a, in a court of law, the judges would love it because if you get to the root of this corruption, all these contracts can be seen through. And I bet you George Smitherman will be sweating as well, and Mike Crawley, because all you have to do is follow the money. But actions right. speak louder than word, and she didn't speak very loud today. Hey, she threw us a banana. We live in a republic. Be happy, people. <laughs> I, I wish more uh, liberal insiders were sweating today, Guy. Thanks for the call. Thank you for your time, Brian. Let's go to uh, Stefan in uh, Russell Line 4. Stefan, you're on Beyond the News. Hi there, Brian. Hey. How's it going? Perfectly adequate. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm not. It, it's the best well. I can say today. Yeah, but it's not going too well for the rest of us in Ontario. We're no, no, not, not if you have to pay your bills. I, I figured out that uh, if if my last bill were the the same every month, uh, I might save a couple hundred bucks over the course of the year. But I, I can tell you, overall, the hydro bill's gone up by much more than that. Oh yeah. So I might save hundred and fifty bucks for a full year, use a little bit more than the average household, but gonna you know I've been paying a lot more too, mm-hmm. a lot more than that. You? Oh yeah. I'm lucky. <laughs> my air conditioning broke down last summer, so. I was able to save on the hydro rate on that part, but it ain't funny, though. I tell you. So you're yeah. saving money because you're sweating more. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, I want to say is this, this whole thing is so insane. Like, it created this climate change and global warming monster trying to make us pay more money through our taxes and, and so on. But the government's not going to gain any more Unless they keep on borrowing, but they can't borrow to indefinitely. Money to keep on paying for this insanity they continue with. You're down in Russell. Are you guys seeing any of the wind farms down that way? I know that uh, a little bit east of you, they were looking at putting in a, a bunch. Do you have the wind farms near you? I haven't seen any nearby here. Okay. I, you know, I was driving by Kingston again, and Kingston is a, a beautiful city. I don't know if you've been down at the Kingston waterfront, Stefan. Oh, yes, I've been there once. Well... It used to be beautiful to look out at Wolf Island. Oh, yeah. And it's right across the, the water. Kingston's kind of where Lake Ontario and the uh, and the St. Lawrence River yeah. meet. Yes, of course. And Wolf Island's there. and But now with the, the wind farms on Wolf Island, mm-hmm. it actually looks awful. Oh, yeah. I know. It I've looks seen it. horrible <laughs> with those wind farms. And, and that's what they want to keep putting across the, the province. So this announcement today doesn't mean... We're not going to have more bad green energy contracts going forward. It just means they're going to try and bribe you not to notice how horrible your bill is. Oh, yeah. Well, I can see that. They try to bribe us all kinds of other social services on top of that and try to make us not see that our hydro rate's still there. All right. Stefan, thanks for the call. No problem. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. You want to email me? It's beyondthenews at cfra.com. You want to call in? 521-TALK, 521-8255, star 580 on Bell Mobility or 1-800-580-CFRA. Mike Kelly in Ottawa qualified to for the ultimate season send seats giveaway. Your next chance, 735 tomorrow on the Morning Rush. Back in moments. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA.
I don't know about you, but my hydro bill's gone up by one heck of a lot over the last several years. Heard one estimate it was 150% over the last, I think it was half decade. 150%. But don't worry, they're going to take the provincial portion of the HST off your bill. Now, legally, they may not be allowed to do that, and so it will actually, they'll still charge you the full HST, but then just rebate you part of it. They want to buy you with your own money. This is their new plan. Sounds an awful lot like the old plan. Do you remember last week when Kathleen Wynne was out before the throne speech, before she said she was going to prorogue the legislature, and she was talking about how they needed to change up the system and start doing more rebates for people. Do you remember that? It wasn't a case of let's change how the system works. It's let's use your tax dollars to give you back more of your money. So that's what this is. This is not fixing how badly broken the system is. This is not reducing hydro rates. This is not doing anything about what has driven up the costs of electricity in the province of Ontario. This is about keeping taxes high to give you back more of your money and claim that it's a cut. And I hope everybody understands that. I am, when am I against tax cuts? I'm not. But this is not a true tax cut. This is not a true attempt to say, let's lower prices for everybody. This is, uh uh-oh, we lost the by-election in one of the safest liberal seats in the province, and we've got another one coming up in Ottawa Vanier, and we don't want to lose that. Now, it'll be a cold day in hell before Ottawa Vanier votes anything but liberal. But it could happen. Or they could not win by 45%. They could only win by 39%. They could have a bit of a scare. Got some interesting numbers for you coming up, by the way. Next day or so, I'll bring you some interesting numbers on the uh, Ottawa Vanier issue. What different people were spending on that. Right now, though, let's go to Michelle. Michelle in Ottawa, you're on Beyond the News. Good evening, Brian. I uh, I was listening, and this morning I heard Lowell uh, discussing it, and I thought, you know, how sad is it that the best ideas come from a retired radio announcer? Like, how desperate are we for real leadership? Uh, well, I, I missed him this morning. What was his idea? Well, I, I, I was out at the mosque with uh, the prime minister when Lowell was on. Yeah, well, so what listen, was his there's, idea? There's a bunch of things, but I won't go over all of what he said. But what I, I just want to cover some ground here is if I had faith that Patrick Brown would actually, if he was to win, go in and say, okay, I'm canceling all these contracts. If he was to cancel them, he would force the truth. Those companies would sing like canaries, and I'm sure a lot of disappeared emails would reappear, and we would actually find out the truth about how rotten that whole system was. But, you know, again, we have to have faith in the well, person. Well, they, they that... would pull out the emails to show what they were promised. Exactly. They would pull out the emails to defend their ability to keep those uh, lucrative contracts. But anyway, the whole thing is it's, they just refuse to to stop 
moving forward with all this nonsense and and just we're freaking bankrupt and i don't know what they want what they expect is going to happen you know it's so sad that people that live in new york state are spending less for electricity that i'm paying for for all these years and we own a small company let me tell you it is not easy anyway i just i just wanted to ask you something else on sunday mm-hmm. um I saw, have you ever seen Farid Zakaria GPS on CNN? I think I'm pronouncing his name right. The program's called... Yep, yeah, okay. no, I have. So he was interviewing, get this, the mayor of London, uh, mm-hmm. Sadiq Khan, I think his name yep. was. Okay. So Mr. Khan mentioned that he's going to come to Montreal on Thursday. Are you aware of that? No, I didn't know that. Well, and then he's going to go to... Um, Washington the next day, I guess. So uh, Mr. Farid said to him, well, that was quite an accomplishment that you won this, you know, with all the anti-immigration parties now in Britain. And Mr. Khan said, well, do you know that only 45% of London's population is white Christians, that they're actually in the minority? But he's coming here to speak to the Muslims in Montreal to tell them that the West does not hate them. Now, how on earth? Well, I, I don't hate Muslims. No, and nor do I. But listen, you were talking about the media and how whacked out they are and how out to lunch. How insulting is that? That the mayor of London, we have a major city in Canada, Calgary, that has a Muslim mayor and he's much adored. We had Little Mosque on the Prairie. It was the number one hit for CBC. I don't think the majority of people here hate Muslims. And so I just find it insulting that it wasn't that long ago that Pierre Trudeau was doing the pirouette behind the Queen because he felt that she had no business in our in our in our society, even though we were part of the Commonwealth, and yet we're going to have a Muslim mayor come and tell the people that have gotten uh, free housing, education, medical and dental, uh, have been welcomed with open arms. He's going to come and tell them that the West doesn't hate them. He's coming to the West. It's such smacks of such stupidity. And it's so insulting to me. I'm so insulted when I was watching that I thought, this is September the 11th. Well, watch, see if you can get the program and watch it. No, it'll be online. Because it was just so, I was watching it, I'm like, I I just can't believe this. But, you know, it's not white Christians that are going around slaughtering Muslim people and chanting that they hate them. Like what is why is this even allowed to be on TV? Who 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 produces these programs? Well, Doesn't anybody screen this stuff and say that's a bit insulting to the people? That, that, that's up to CNN, and if they want to put it on, that's up to them. Well, I'm a the big left pro- is nuts, and I'm Kathleen a, Wynne is nuts, and we need a good is, leader. And well, that's who, all who's true. But for Ottawa Vanier, for the Conservatives, do you know? Uh, federal or provincial? To replace uh, Mr. Belanger. Oh, so that's federal? I don't know yet. Okay. I know that the NDP's likely running uh, Emile Tamaran again. Okay. Uh, don't know who the Liberals or the Conservatives are running yet. Well, we need some really good candidates here, some really strong right. people. And what Kelly Lynch is saying, good for her, you know, because she's right. not a racist. And good got, for her. Got to hold it there, Michelle. Thanks for the call. Thank you. Last word goes to Frank in Greeley. Well, hold on. Hitting the wrong phone line. There we go. I hunt up on Frank. Did I hang up on Frank or did he hang up? I don't know what happened there. My apologies, though. If I hung up on Frank, yikes. He was on the line for so long, too. Frank, my apologies. You call in tomorrow. You'll be first on the line. 
By the way, the uh, the price for hydroelectricity, well, it's not actually hydro. It's mostly nuclear right now, but the price for electricity in Ontario right now, as of 8 p.m., 2.19 cents per kilowatt hour. Very little of that coming from the renewables sector. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. Back in moments.